listening to She Said What with your host, Alyssa Harper. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to She Said What with your host, Alyssa Harper. That is me. This podcast is all about the taboo topics in life, okay? The questions you ask Google, the questions that you uh, have a quick scroll, you find your answer, and you get out. You close the tab, you pretend you were never there. Well, Open that tab back up, because that's what we do here, focusing a lot on sex, sexuality, menstrual cycles, relationships, all the things that, you know, you're just a little bit like, probably wouldn't talk to my mom about this. Here we are. Today's episode specifically is an interview with Alyssa Lube. She has been on The Circle, which is a Netflix series. If you've seen it, it's that Alyssa Lube. Um, and she is super funny. She's super knowledgeable. And she just has amazing advice for you guys. Thank you so much for sending in questions through Instagram. Your questions were amazing. And we just got into such an uh, a crazy discussion. And I just feel like there were so many moments we were like, wow, I never thought about it that way. Or there's so many moments for me where I just had like little light bulb moments and just felt like, oh my gosh, like I needed to hear that. And so I know this is going to help you as well. In this episode, we talk about sexuality and imposter syndrome around identifying with something other than being straight. We talk about the difference between your beliefs and what you want sexually, and what do you do when those two things conflict. We talk about pain during sex and what to do when your partner is a little bit bigger than you're used to. We talk about dilators, things to do with the pelvic floor to help you have a better sex life. And I do want to give a bit of a trigger warning. We do talk about sexual assault as well. The difference between a positive, enthusiastic yes or something like coercion, or even rape. And I do think it's a really important conversation, a conversation I haven't been able to have on the podcast yet. So I was really happy to do this with somebody else who works in the sexual wellness space. It is something that can provide a lot of clarity for you if you've ever been in a situation like this, provide a lot of validation for you. And I just think it's so important. So I'm really excited that we've had this conversation. I know you guys are going to love this episode. So let's get ready. Right into it. Enjoy. Alyssa Lube. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for being here. I know everyone's super excited to hear this interview with you, and there's been so many questions asked. Can you give us a bit of a history of you, some context? Where are you from? Where are you born and raised? So I was born and raised in New York. I lived in the Bronx when I was a kid. And then I moved up to like the suburbs when I was in elementary school. Um, and then I have been in New York City for like close to 10 years. And then I moved out to LA for a little bit. And now I'm back in New York in the suburbs. I've been kind of all over the place, but oh, yeah. for the most part, tried and true New Yorker. Okay, love that. I love New York. It's so beautiful. Sam and I went about two years ago, my husband and I, um, with my family over Christmas, and it was so stunning. Like, I just, I miss it, and I want to go back so bad. Um, can you please tell us what you do now? What do you do for work? I am, I work in social media now. Like, I do social media management as my day job, but I'm also studying um, to get my ASAC certification as a sex coach. Um, and a big part of my platform on social media now is sex education. And I was on the Netflix show, The Circle. 
And on well, while I was on the circle, um, I was an assistant to a sex coach. And so I knew coming off of that show that that was going to be a big part of my social media presence. And so the second that we finished filming, I started my certification and I'm still working to do that now. And it's been an amazing journey. I love sharing sex education and ta- having these kind of, kinds of conversations on social media, um, especially with like this sort of younger Gen Z audience that um, actually really and everybody, but it's been cool to see this like really wide demographic want to have this conversation with me. That's a very long winded way to say all the things that I do, but <laughs> what I love about your social media actually is that you are just so honest. Like people will ask you questions and instead of giving like a pretty, you know, standard response, you'll just be like, okay, look, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> and it's so good. Thank you. I try. I mean, like, I think all the time that like, Really, when you go to when you go to something like a therapist, all they're trying to do is give you tools. And if I can give people tools that are so much more like like user friendly, Mm -hmm. I would rather do that. I think there are things that that people once you get too um, engrossed in like in a lifestyle. So even like people who have been in like the sex education lifestyle for so long, there are things that are not strange to them that when they're communicating with people who have no exposure to this at all, you know, are a little bit more gun shy too. And I, I like that I can be sort of like a bridge in between the two. I like that I can like sit in between both parties and be like, this is incredible advice from like a person who's super educated, but let's like translate it down to like, what's actually going to happen when you're, when you're in those moments. Like one of the conversations that I had um, with a friend recently was she was asking me about dating advice if you are um, trying not to sleep with someone too early in your, you know, whatever, like courting each other, getting to know each other. And in my mind, I was like, this just, you just don't. This feels very simple. But I was like, I know that that's not actually how this is going to go. So we're going to give you some rules and I'm going to tell you how to manage it. And this is how it's going to feel. I would so much rather like walk through it with people because I think that sort of like handholding is really necessary for something like sex education and um sort of like intimacy and relationships in general especially now that it's gotten to be so sort of casual well because I just feel like if you are in you know your scenario or even my scenario when I talk about sex on my platform I could easily just give very basic advice like wear lingerie you know and right. that's great, but is it going to work for everybody? No, 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 not for everybody. And it's really important that you kind of think about what's actually going on behind the scenes with people, why they need that advice, and to kind of think outside of the box when you're giving that advice. Even when it comes to people just being different person to person, even when it comes to pleasure, mm-hmm. like people just like different things. Their body responds to different things, so you have to give all these different options. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's been a really cool experience too, is learning how much gray area really exists in sexuality. And so much of it has existed in like sort of this like box of, um, if you are straight, then these are the, if you're a straight woman, these are the things that you enjoy. And that's just not the case. And 
sex is meant to be fun. Like it's meant to be something that's enjoyable. It's meant to make you feel connected to a partner. And literally any way you do that is okay. As long as you're, it's safe and safe for both parties, consensual for both parties. Yeah, totally. It, it's truly whatever you want. And I can give you guidance if there's like a specific thing that you feel like you want to be doing better then absolutely, by all means, reach out to all of your resources, including me. And, you know, and we can help give you those tools that that are things that are so actionable and easy for you to do. But it's really, truly whatever feels best to you. And like one of the questions I get all the time is um, how often how often is normal to be having sex with my husband or my partner or whoever it is? And it's like, I think that's the funniest question because I'm like, well, how much do you want to, what do you mean? Do you want to, do, I'm con- what, I'm confused by your phrasing, you know, but people get so in their heads about what they think that their sex life should look like. Yeah, it's funny. Like that was actually something I went through with my partner when we first got together. Like we had that question of, should we be doing this a certain amount? Like, are Mm -hmm. we still healthy? And obviously when you first start dating someone, like there's more of that honeymoon phase and more of that kind of like, I guess, excitement around the relationship. Mm -hmm. You tend to be really, really into it. And then over time, that's just going to change naturally. And that's totally fine. It's not to say Mm -hmm. that we don't want to now. We absolutely do. But it's just that it looks different and there has to be more intention around it. But I would have Mm -hmm. moments where I would be like, what's normal? You know, I'm sitting there Googling it, like, how often should this be happening? (laughs) (laughs) I think with anything in a relationship, you need to adapt as the relationship changes. And obviously, sex is going to fall into that category as well. Totally. And it's an interesting thing when people get into long-term relationships and their sex life changes, because um, it's so common that people get very concerned. But in reality, a lot of the way that we, um, not a lot, but a portion of how we interact with our partners in the beginning of our relationships comes from a place of wanting validation. Mm. It's like confirming that you're still interested. I'm still interested in you and you're still interested in me. And so there's still a little bit of, even if you don't feel like there is, there's a little bit of that, like convincing each other that you're both still invested and interested. And then after a period of time, that sort of falls off and there's like that bit of of comfortability but the like sex is just a form of intimacy and intimacy can mean a million things and sometimes intimacy comes in the form of like your partner knows you had a really rough day and brings you wine and cookies at the end of it that is a form of intimacy too and so the way that we receive it ends up being different the further along into a relationship that we are in because we sort of created the validation of like, physically, we are compatible. And physically, I know that this person is interested in me. And so I don't worry about that so much. But the emotional part, like that emotional intimacy really comes into play the longer you're in the relationship. And then intimacy just looks different. It's just not, it's not like the, we need to have sex on the kitchen counter immediately intimacy. It's the (laughs) wine and cookies intimacy. It's so true. And even actually the other day, we redid our love languages Yeah, because we felt like maybe it might have changed. And we realized that I actually realized that I felt like acts of service was probably getting higher up Mm -hmm. on the kind of list for me. 
But when we first started dating, it was physical touch. It was gifts. It was those kinds of things. Now that all of our money is together and, you know, gifts is just, right. it comes out of both of our pockets. It's like, I don't need anything. No, don't, don't buy me anything. You know, I just, I want you to hang out with mm-hmm. me. I want you to help me with things that I don't want to do. It's just, it's just that now. And it's funny how it does change over time. Yeah. I think it's interesting now, like I, I'm approaching 30 and that's also affected just my like energy levels in general are so different and yeah. like my capacity for socializing is different. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of things that just, just change as you get older and, and mm-hmm. maybe they go in, in opposite ways for other people. I have a feeling we're all sort of on the same page of like, I've had enough. yeah literally I'm like honestly if you can just make my life easier just take off the load that's all I need from you okay you don't need to do anything romantic I just if you can just like be my little helper that would be sick (laughs) I understand completely (laughs) well I reckon we get into the first question that's been sent in most of these questions are based around advice things that you guys have asked through Instagram so let's get going first question is I'm bi but I have huge imposter syndrome. I've never done anything sexual with a female. Any advice on how to not feel so scared to make that step? Also, is there any more advice you could give me about being with another female? Thanks, XO. So cute. I love this question. And when you had sent that one over to me, I was like, that is so relatable because I've had a similar experience where like, it's kind of hard to tell, especially now because... We, I just saw someone talk about this recently, where for women, especially when women are by a lot of the time, we get told that like, oh, you just are trying to like sexualize it. You're trying to make yourself seem attractive to other people. Mm. But if a guy says, and they'll say that that girl is straight and she's just trying Mm -hmm. to get attention. But if a guy says that he's bi, um they will assume that that guy is gay and just not out yet. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like the best thing that you can do in that circumstance is explore in a way that's most comfortable for you. And so for me, like I would go on Hinge and talk to women. And that was an interesting experience for me because having a conversation with women on dating apps versus men on dating apps what a world of a difference. What a world of a difference. You know, my goodness. But I would go on dating apps and you can even, I think if you're trying to sort of branch out in just the realm of your sexual experiences and not in like a relationship way, I would say go on the apps and go on a date and start in like small, small ways that you feel most comfortable. And honestly, I'm pretty sure that if you just told a girl that you were on a date with that this is new to you, like I'm exploring this part of me. And so I, you know, this is all new. So I might be a little bit timid. I think honesty is your best is the best policy in that way. And I think the fear comes from a little bit of the shame that we build around exploring all these different sides of our sexuality. Ultimately, it's for your own experience. It's something that that if it's going to make you happy and potentially bring you pleasure, it's worth a shot. The worst thing that can happen is you decide it's not for you and then you just don't do it again and that's it. So I would say um, 
to explore speaking to women on dating apps and see if you can just go on like a casual date. Like if you're a person who drinks, go for a drink or go for like an appetizer and like see if you can get like kind of go back to middle school dating rules. Like see if you can get like a first kiss and see how that feels and really take it super, super slow and to your own level of comfortability. And if you feel like this is a person that I really like and they clearly have more experience than me, it's so more than okay and in, honestly encouraged for you to just say, this is all super new to me. I'm so excited to be exploring this with you. Um, but I just want you to know if I seem a little bit shy or a little bit timid, this that's why. Yeah, I absolutely uh, like love this advice. I feel like it's so good to just be honest with people and tell them like, hey, this is kind of my first experience with this, you know, and... I don't see any reason why someone would be uncomfortable with that. I think it's really great and it's really exciting to share that with someone for the first time. I think when it comes to the whole imposter syndrome thing, it's a really hard conversation because people often don't want to feel like they're lying to people or they want to be able to explore something or they might know that they're bi, but they don't want people to think that it isn't legit. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I feel like... People often feel like they have to prove their bisexuality, especially with bisexuality. Because if you're like, right, you know, I'm homosexual or I'm heterosexual, it's like, yep, okay, people can register that and understand that. But bisexuality, there tends to be this kind of confusion or assumed confusion around that person. Saying that, is there any advice that you could give anyone who wants to approach a woman or is looking for that kind of relationship and they want to do that, but they don't really know how? Girls are a lot, a lot nicer about like sliding into each other's DMs, things like that. Like, yeah. if you know for sure that this person is interested in the same thing that you are, then it's a lot easier to approach them. I think I saw like something like the LGBTQ community takes up like two percent of of um the population. It's a small community still, and so. Like, the likelihood of someone being, like, super turned off by you even trying in a respectful way feels, like, relatively low. If you're being respectful and your intentions are in the right place and they are actually interested in you, you'll be fine. And if you if you feel like dating men is, is easier and you just are not willing to, like, wait, then date men. But if you find that your priorities change and you want to put the time and go for sort of the longer haul of really trying to date women. There's absolutely ways to do that, but it might just take a little bit more effort. But if that's where your priorities sort of shift, then your actions just have to shift along with those same priorities. But everything is possible. You never know. Right. And it's obviously going to depend so much person to person how you end up feeling. Like I've heard some people say dating women is so much easier because, you know, men, I feel like they're not as emotionally, you know, invested or they haven't taken the time to figure out how they feel on all these different issues. And so you always feel like you never know when they're going to dip. Like you get ghosted a lot more by men, blah, 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 blah. I've heard that whole side of it. And then I've heard, you know, it's so much easier to date men because I'm so used to dating men. And I've seen examples of what it's like to date men. And so it makes it a lot easier and I think it's interesting you kind of need to figure out like what you want out of going to try to be with a woman like 
do you want to just have like a sexual experience? Is this you just testing the waters? Are you looking for a relationship and obviously like ultimately protecting the fact that this is a human that you're talking about? This isn't a body. This isn't just like, oh, I'm just going to go have sex with this random girl. Like it's like, no, like this is a person and they have feelings and you need to honor that, you know, but you can still say, you'd be honest about your boundaries and what you're looking for and be clear that you're not looking for a relationship. Um, you just have to be careful to not over-sexualize someone because it's like a queer relationship, which is, you know, it seems like an obvious thing, but people will kind of do it without knowing it sometimes. I know even myself, just being in the sexual wellness space, sometimes I talk about things in a sexual way, and I don't think of it as being, like, too much because I talk about sex all the time. Like, do you ever do that where you just kind of, like, accidentally over-sexualize something and then you're like, whoops, like, I didn't mean to do that. I'm just so comfortable in this area, and you forget that other people aren't? <laughs> One million percent. But now that I've made such a uh, a presence of a spectacle, really, of being in the, in the sex like education space, I talk about sex all day long. The most random people, like my dad had a barbecue on Labor Day and one of his friends was like, I got a couple questions for you. And I'm like, okay. You know, it's like never the environment I thought that I would be having that conversation, but it comes up now all the time. But I do forget how... Um, normalized it feels for me and like one of the most absurd things I ever did was I went to the museum of sex and I took a like um Instagram story video while I was in there not realizing like there are literal images of people having sex on it <laughs> right and I put it on my Instagram <laughs> right. story like a big dumb idiot and in my mind I was like oh I'm just like looking at things that like I see all the time and I interact mm -hmm. with this all the time and it's fine mm -hmm. and then Instagram was like you're gonna get banned sweetie what's happening yeah. what's this <laughs> sorry and then I felt and then I felt bad I was like oh my god I'm violating violating the consent of the people on my Instagram the people that follow me because I just kept showing them that you know but it's yeah. just so it feels so um like not scandalous to me anymore right. that I, I 100% forgot that that's not everybody's experience <laughs> <laughs> so good well I'm gonna get into the next question then it says, my yeah. boyfriend and I are Catholic, so we haven't had sex, and we go months without messing up, assuming they mean messing up as in doing things that are sexual but aren't penetrative sex. I get really triggered whenever he masturbates and looks at porn, even though I masturbate often and also look at porn. Why is this? Ooh. Religion and sex have a really complicated relationship, and... I, it's tough because I'm not a very religious person. And so in terms of like the guidance on the faith end of things, I would say that this person should, should see if they can find a mentor that they trust for that type of a conversation that's within their faith, if that's important to them. But from the sex ed perspective, Religion causes people to have a lot of shame yeah. and a lot of um, shame personally, shame about their bodies, lack mm -hmm. of autonomy. They don't yep. feel like they have control or ownership of their body or their sexual experiences. So I have, a, I have some bones to pick with, <laughs> with religion and the way that they interact with sexuality. But, but you know, like it's, it's the kind of thing where if you have faith and this is a big part of your life, I could never take that away from you. That's beautiful and you have every right to enjoy it. It was, what's frustrating about this this question and this, this like circumstance is looking at it like they're messing up because if you are 
with this person that you feel um, committed to and you already have sort of engaged in some sexual activity and you're asking me, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you stop doing that. Right. Because <laughs> there's so much evidence, like actual research scientific evidence to show that masturbation is healthy and yes. good for you. Yeah. Um, and I mean... With porn use, it's sort of a mixed bag. Like, there are definitely people who have addictions to porn, and obviously that's not healthy. There are people who watch types of porn that can give you sort of a skewed um, perception of what real sexual experiences are like. But there's also ways that you can find ethical ethical porn, which is porn that's made, sometimes made from, like, the female gaze. There's a great website called Afterglow, and the woman who created Afterglow directs all of the films that go on there, and they're made made by a female, really with, like, the female mentality in mind, and it's so cool. There's also websites like Balesa, where, like, they have a little bit more of, like, a broader more broad um, spectrum of what they offer. And so if it's the type of porn that he's engaging with that's upsetting to you, there are ways that you can find um, that type of entertainment in a, in a little bit more of a controlled environment. I always feel like when you tell someone that they can't do something, they're going to want to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why they're in this, this situation. It's because you've made a hard and fast rule that you're not going to do it. So I would say maybe a good compromise is um, if if sex is completely off the table, how about masturbation is on the table? Even mutual masturbation, underrated and really fun. And so that person might not be touching you at all. Oh my gosh, yes. I tell people this all the time. Mutual masturbation is amazing because you literally get to show your partner, here's what I like, this is what I enjoy, this is the kind of touch I like, this is what I do when I'm alone. And then you also get to just really enjoy it and have such a nice time. So fun. And I'm a person who has everything sex and mutual masturbation is really fun. So, you know, like it, there's some, there's a broad, broad range of what sexuality means. And they're like the things that you can do. So if you don't want to have like actual, um, oh my gosh, what is the word? Oh, like penetrative sex. Penetrative, that, there you go. That's where it is. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, there's tons of other things that you can do. You can actually, there's a term called other course. Oh. And you can literally do a Google search for other course, and they will tell you different types of, um, like, sexual activities that you can do that are not penetrative sex or, you know, anything that, that might cross a line. Um so I would say look for a compromise. Look for someone in your faith that can give you a little bit of guidance on that front, but know that you're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. You really aren't. It's your own body and you're doing something like masturbating is very good for your mental health. It's great for your physical health. It gives you like floods of all of the happy hormones that you could want. It boosts your self-esteem. It, you know, it, there's so many positive benefits that I, it ha- I have a hard time when anyone says that they've like messed up with it. Um, and so I would encourage this person to sort of like broaden what, what sexuality means to them. But I also want to respect that, you know, faith is, is obviously really important, but 
you're not doing anything wrong. Totally. And ultimately, it's up to that individual to balance things like their sexuality and their religion and figure out what that means for them. And that does take time to figure out. And that's a very, you know, deep thing. It's not just, oh, well, I guess, you know, they told me it's fine. I'm just going to go do it. You need to figure out, you know, is that actually what I want? And if that's what I want, how am I going to have that fit in with my spirituality? And it really is a journey. And exactly what you said, having a mentor in that space that you trust, that you look up to, having those conversations with them. I reckon we move into the next question. It's along the same lines. Someone's asked how to overcome guilt received from childhood or the church being told that being queer is wrong. That type of trauma takes some time and energy and like continued effort to really unravel. And so I would, I would encourage this person to look for a sex therapist. A sex therapist is a regular therapist, but they do an additional training on like a whole bunch of information on sexuality. They're not going to sit there and be like, I don't know, shove a dildo in your face. They're not going to do that. They just have a lot of extra information, additional information. I would encourage this person to look for a sex therapist that specifically um, that specializes in religious trauma. And you can go on websites like Psychology Today and you can find ones that work in your insurance plan. If you have insurance, hopefully, then then that's a great way to do it, because this type of process takes time to unravel. One of the things that like always made me feel good and almost like silly for the level of um shame that we all give ourselves and are sort of burdened with is when you think back to how long people have been engaging in sex the ways that they've been engaging in sex like there are periods of time in history where they would have like in the I'm trying to think of I don't want to like misquote the years but I'll just say prior to like the 17th century people having literal carnivals carnivals where there would be naked people their people would be having sex with some of the acts it was so there were periods of time where sexuality was so liberated so liberated and that all came to a screeching halt when the patriarchy started to become like a really big framework for um the way that we all behave that has a lot to do with religion. It has a lot to do with the Industrial Revolution. There's a lot of things that happened historically to change the way that we behave around sexuality. Humans, like our natural um, desires as, as a species, we are naturally non-monogamous. And we are naturally like really adventurous. And we are a um, species that likes to be in communities. And so we've never, we've never existed in ways where like, we've been so individualized until now. That's now we've started doing that. So I think about that a lot because the way that we treat sexuality, especially in the queer community and just really siloing it off as being something that's completely wrong is so new. Like that idea is so new. There were periods of like um, having they, them pronouns that goes back to like Shakespearean times. There have been they, them pronouns forever. And they only started to become an issue when the patriarchy came into play. And I think that was like the 18th century. So like this has been like the human species 
wants to be free and interact with all different kinds of people. That's what we are naturally inclined to do. And when you have to go through the process of unraveling the layers and layers of shame that have been indoctrinated into us as a result of the patriarchy or religion or whatever it may be, it's a long process. I think the best place to start seeing if you can find a therapist that is affordable to you in, in one way, um, but also to do some like self-love practices. And that can be like any host of things. Like sometimes it's like going on a hike and really having the time to yourself and really like, you know, engaging with nature and, and disconnecting from, from these outside influences and really thinking about like, who am I as a person without all of these other, the other noise? Um, journaling is a way that I do that. It's just me and my thoughts and I can really connect with who I am. Meditation is a great way to do that. One of the other things that I've suggested to people is to, um, and this goes kind of hand in hand with people who are uncomfortable masturbating or touching themselves at all. And this is going to sound, this is going to feel very difficult, but it gets easier and easier. Get as undressed as you can comfortably be and stand in front of a mirror and go head to toe and only tell yourself things that you love about yourself. And it can be, it can be anything. It can be, I love that my part is naturally so straight. I never even have to do anything to it. Just naturally straight. You know, that's such a convenience to me. I love it. I love that my forehead is so smooth. Is that because of Botox? <laughs> yes, but I love it. It looks so, so much smoother now. Like, you know, whatever it is. But, and obviously I'm joking, but but there are ways to like really go from head to toe and show yourself appreciation and love and value. We forget a lot of the time that our value has nothing to do with our bodily existence. Nothing. It has to do with being a good sister, being a good, you know, dog mom, being responsible and whatever it is. Really think about what your value is as a person and how you feel about yourself and ground yourself in like who you are and know that like that's that's the person that you carry on through all of these stages of your life. And so there's a lot to unravel with like the religious trauma stuff, but I would start with the self-love component because it's going to be a foundation for everything else that you're going to have to un you know encounter and unravel in the rest of that journey. Gosh, it's so true. It is such an unraveling. It really does take time. And especially if you are in that space where you're choosing to kind of leave those beliefs that you had at one point and you're trying to unlearn things, it's going to be individual thoughts that come up. You're literally going to be like, hmm, I think that real sex is penetrative sex. And then <laughs> you're going to realize, wait, why do I think that? Wait, where does that come from? Oh, wait, that's actually heteronormative thinking. Wait, that's actually coming because I believe that that's the bad sex that I'm not meant to be having. Like you start to realize that all of these thoughts, all of these beliefs that you have are based on this one mm -hmm. thing. And if you take that one thing out, you're going to be left with a lot of holes. You're going to be left with a lot of gaps. And you're going to have to fill that with new knowledge, new beliefs, new ideas. And that takes learning from other people that you follow on social media or books that you read or, you know, Netflix series that you watch. Like all these things that you're going to tap into to get that information and to replace that information. It's going to take time, but it's going to be so worth it because it's going to be built solely on your foundation foundation, your sense of self-love, and what you actually want for yourself morally and just sexually and emotionally, all of your wants are actually going to begin 
to become met because you've gone through that process yourself. And yes, that takes so much effort. And yes, that takes so much time, but it is so worth it. And it's something that you do over time. It's not something that you can do overnight. Totally, totally. And you're removing this framework, like this entire frame, like this ethical, moral framework from your life. And now you're going to have to replace it with your own. And that feels very scary, but it's just a process. It's a continuous process. And I'm sure like I grew up in a Roman Catholic house and there are still times where like every now and then I have these like little glimpses of like, oh yeah, like, oh, I kind of felt that. Like, I feel like a little bit of shame today or like whatever it is. And so it's still, and like, I haven't really, I haven't been like a very religious person, I think probably 10 years or so. And I still get those moments of like dealing, dealing with the residuals of that. And so it's just an ongoing, ongoing process. Right. And you have to let it be continuous. And I think it's, it's so funny, actually, recently, my husband and I had this conversation where we were like, we can do whatever we want. Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, we can literally do whatever we want we can choose to believe whatever we want we can choose to do whatever we want we can have whatever type of relationship we want to have we can do whatever we want sexually I mean we can Mm -hmm. do whatever we want and that is so crazy to me like I don't know it just it blew our minds because for so long we had a framework and we were told this is how things are done and you're either doing a good job at doing it or you're not doing a good job at doing it and there's so much shame for so many years because we're trying to meet this certain standard but we can do whatever we want. Now we can do whatever we want. And it's crazy. Mm-hmm. You could literally, literally be on, like, if you're not hurting anybody, you can do whatever you want. You can have Pop-Tarts every day if you want to for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. No one's going to tell you that, well, I and mean, people are going to tell you that that's not a good idea, but, like, you could do it. Like, you can actually wear whatever you want in most places. Like, as long as you're covering up the important bits. Like, I always used to get, like, I, I you know, nervous about my style like I, I didn't want to like dress the way that I wanted to because I felt embarrassed it was too much you can wear whatever you want you can have any types of relationships you want as long as they're safe consensual and everybody is like has clear communication on what's going on you can do whatever you want and look I do think it's important to recognize that people come from certain backgrounds where there would be shame put on them if they did do certain things like I think it's important to be sensitive towards that or even for example people within the queer community who are more at risk for things to happen against them if they say wear what they want um you know or they go to a bathroom that they feel suits them it's definitely a potential where people can have things happen that is bad to them because of homophobic people etc etc and so I want to be sensitive towards that but at the same time I think a lot of us don't realize how much liberty we have because we're so stuck in this mindset of like okay but this is what's expected of me right but where are those expectations coming from and who is a forcing you genuinely forcing you to fit within that box yeah I mean like you the the point is more that you can like you have options to do it like I don't want like I'm the most nervous person ever I'm scared of everyone and everything I just constantly think that someone's gonna steal me I'm sure that I'm like even out of the age bracket of being stolen but I just I'm just sure someone's gonna steal and (laughs) so like I think about that constantly but the point is more that like the world is your oyster and you can like build the boundaries around your life that you that make you happy obviously be careful be safe don't get stolen but yeah, this is your PSA, guys, to not get stolen, okay? Don't do that. 
Okay, we are officially going into our next question. Question is, I think I want to be in an open relationship with my long-term boyfriend, but I don't know how to bring it up without it potentially ending very badly. I think I think that you just have to be careful in the way that you phrase it. Don't don't like um talk around the point too much because you want to be clear in what you're asking so that you're being fair in the way that you're like approaching the topic if it is a super high priority to you you need to communicate that and if that means the end of the relationship then that's not the relationship for you but if it's something that you just want to explore and see you know get a feel for what they're interested in just word it that way like i'm just curious what your thoughts are on open relationships, maybe not even related to you. What do you think about them? And start there and then, you know, take take it slow and ease into the conversation, but be clear when the time comes, be clear about, because open relationships are a lot harder than monogamous relationships are because they require a lot of boundaries. And I don't want to say rules because it's not rules, it's more boundaries, but a lot of uh, boundaries and agreements between you, your current partner, and any other additional partners. So just be super clear, but maybe ask him like objectively, like what do you think about them in general? And then see sort of gauge his reaction. Right. Like don't come out and just say, hey, I was thinking we could have sex with other people. What do you think? You know, maybe kind of like sussing it out and asking like broader questions. Yeah. Yeah. Just so that you're not making them feel inferior or like they're not doing enough for you. Cause that may not be the case. And just, I would say talk, speak in generalizations first. And then once you get a feel for like where the direction of the conversation is going, then you can, you can figure it out from there. Right. Like you just don't want to put yourself in a situation, I guess, where it's like, well, there's no going back, you know, it's like, this is what I want. There's no going back. And obviously ultimately if it is that's what you want and you're like this is what I want for sure I know that I just really hope the other person also wants this and would be you know down for this if they aren't you have to realize that then that relationship might not be for you right if you're sitting there going I have needs that aren't being met and like this is what I would love to do to have those needs met obviously you want to have a conversation you want to listen to that person and listen to how they might say well honestly I agree that this and this isn't being met, but it's because we don't spend enough time together or because we aren't intentional about our sex life or we aren't what are these things, you know, we can focus on those things together first. And then if that doesn't work, why don't we look at the open relationship, right? Or like kind of having that conversation where you allow the other person to kind of give their input as well, not to just come in like, hey, this is what I want to do and to freak them out, <laughs> kind of give them space to talk and to kind of try to figure out what's going to work for the both of you. Okay, next question. I'm very curious to hear what you're going to say to this one, actually. Someone has asked, my new boyfriend and I finally decided to have sex. He's dot 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 much larger than any guy I've ever been with. Once we got into the swing of things, it was amazing. But afterwards, I literally felt like I couldn't walk. Will this stop? It'll stop. It won't It won't be as painful. I'm assuming she said that they finally had sex. I wonder if she was a virgin before um yeah it said anyone she's ever been with before so I'm assuming yes oh right 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 um it'll get easier over time and I I would venture a guess that um if 
if from the first time she was nervous and was tensing up her muscles and now she's bracing herself every time, that could also be contributing. So she might just be experiencing like a little bit of um, just like stress on her muscles. So I would say if she can be a little bit mindful about relaxing her, I mean, it's, it's your pelvic floor that you're relaxing, but just relaxing all of those muscles and just be mindful that you're not bracing yourself too much. Um, and also lube. Lube is your friend. Lube is your friend and it'll help so much. But all of that like space down there is meant to, meant to stretch and it will always snap back. Um, I mean, barring you have a child, that's a little bit different. But it's it is meant to stretch and it is meant to contract again. Just be mindful of of the like muscles. There's so many muscles that you interact with when you have sex that you there's a lot of opportunity for tension down there. So just you know being mindful, taking deep breaths, and then if if at a later point it's not getting any better, she could get either dilators or. Um, a dildo that's like of a similar shape and size and just hold it in there for a little while and just really focus on taking deep breaths and relaxing all of those muscles so if she doesn't feel like she can do that in the actual like intercourse itself getting something else that you can use to insert and relax will also probably help out there's like a couple of things with dilators though that you have to be careful of like they are you have to clean them really really well they're like porous and they can you know you can get all types of different things if you're not careful, but it's a helpful exercise in general if you feel like you tense up a lot and you know, like part of me is like, I don't want to, I don't want to give someone just the physical treatment because if you're, if you're tensing up, I would imagine that there's something like mentally going on that you could probably unravel. But if you know, like, okay, this is just anxiety and I know what this is from and I'm just getting in my head it's not a bad idea to get lube and either a dildo or a vibrator or something that you can insert or um, a dilator. And dilators come in sets. Can you just quickly explain what a dilator does? Yeah, so a dilator is a set of, they're just like um, like little plastic pieces that come in a variety of sizes and they're meant to stretch out the pelvic area. And so um, you can use them like... Um, a pelvic floor uh, therapist might use them, like physical therapist might use them to help loosen up that area or to train that area. Um, but you would just put a little bit of lube, you would insert it at the smallest size and you can like take deep breaths and sort of meditate on it for a little while, kind of like have the internal dialogue of like, I'm okay and this is fine. And until, and then once you feel comfortable with that smaller size, you would move to a larger size. So you're kind of training your body to not have like this adverse response of something, something bad is happening and I need to tense everything up. You're training your body to like ex sort of accept that as being something enjoyable and okay to happen. And that can be something that like there's a response if you've been sexually assaulted or anything along those lines something like a dilator can be really helpful. But if you also just are dealing with like anxiety because you know that this person is bigger than anything that you've dealt with in the past, that could be a sort of creating stress for you. And um, a dilator or a dildo with, with lube, please God, with lube. Yes, please God, please. 
Just do it. <laughs> if I could have, like, one, one crusade for the rest of my life, it would be that, like, everyone, everyone, everyone should use lube. And it's really just a gift to me that my last name has lube in it. I love that. It's so good. I actually, I have a friend who worked with a pelvic floor therapist and a, I think it was a sexologist or it might've been a psychologist um, at the same time. And they were literally the three of them all sat in the same room and they literally were like inserting a dilator and teaching her how to not tense up and how to take deep breaths and what that felt like in her body. And I know she had like amazing results with it and originally had really painful sex and thought, you know, I'm not going to be able to have penetration for my life, my whole life. And now she's able to, because she was able to work with two people who, you know, they're able to integrate like what's going on in her brain with what was happening physically, which I thought was really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Totally. Pelvic floor physical therapists are like one of the most unsung heroes in, in the sex space. And they're great for like, if you're having a child also, and there's lots of things that they deal with, but for your sex life, they're not taking, of a, taking advantage of enough. And there's, um, the, your, everything that you feel is a neurological connection and neurological connections can be rewritten a million times over. And so that's sort of like the beauty of the way that our brains work. So if you've had this negative experience or for whatever reason, you have a ton of muscle tension and you can't release it, you can absolutely rewire those neuropathways to accept this and get to a point of usually the, the scale would be from pain to being neutral and then from neutral to pleasure and you'll get there it'll just take a little bit of time but it's absolutely possible and it's absolutely possible to get from the pain point to the pleasure point it's just a little bit of time in between Yes, I love that you've pointed that out, that mm -hmm. it isn't necessarily right from pain to pleasure. Mm -hmm. It is from pain to neutral to pleasure sometimes. And sometimes with things that happen during sex, you need to kind of like workshop it and mm -hmm. separate it from a sexual moment, even if that means like saying to your partner, like, okay, I want to try something, knowing like, okay, this isn't like a, we aren't in the moment, whatever, it's fine. We're actually just kind of trying something. And now we can use this as a tool now that we know how to do it or that we're comfortable with it going into other experiences. Well, going into our next question, someone has asked, I tend to have codependent tendencies in romantic relationships and just fear in general being certain places alone as a woman. I'd love to learn if you have any advice with growing independence alongside a partner. Well, I would like to know what ways they feel codependent because another... Another thing that we get told as women is that we're being codependent, um, but in reality, we're just looking for emotional intimacy, and it's not codependency. It's just normal emotional intimacy. Um, and so in terms of codependency in the relationship, I would like to know what, what that looks like for, for them, um, because a lot of the times that's not not actually the case. We just are not very in tune with what is like, what is appropriate, um, emotional intimacy wise. So for instance, um, one of the things that I learned from my best friend actually, who's been, who's married and has been with her husband, like since they were 16. So 10, 12 years, something like that. Um, one of the things that they've gotten really good at 
is if they just are feeling a little needy, she will literally say, I feel needy. And I just like need your attention. And he's like, that's totally fine. And he will, he'll like stop whatever he's doing and they'll spend a little quality time together. And that's not being codependent. It's you're in a partnership and you're asking for emotional intimacy or you're asking for support in a way that is meaningful to you. And that's completely acceptable and fine. Um, on the safety aspect of it, that is, they're, they're singing to the tune of my chorus. I'm scared of everything. <laughs> Recently, I'm scared of everything. Um, I would say just, you know, always be aware of your surroundings. I actually, I don't have my bag with me, but there's this, um, there's this thing called, I think it's a, it's called bird and it looks like a keychain, and, um, you can pull it and it'll, it'll make a blinking noise and it's connected to your phone. And so if your phone has service at all, and it, it senses that you've pulled the pin, it'll alert all of the people on your contacts. And I think it also calls the police. I'm not sure I have to check that, but there's, there's tons of tools. Thank God we live in like a time where there's tons of tools that you can take advantage of in terms of safety. Um, but if the codependency is that you don't feel safe doing things, um, I don't know. This is, this is sort of a situation where I feel like I would need more information because sometimes that's justified, but there's other times where it might not be. And that would, that would require a different, different level of intervention. Cause I'm curious if this person has like, almost like, like, are, are there, are there concerns justified or are they just like truly unable to like go to CVS by themselves? And that's not really codependency. If it's a safety concern, it's not that you're codependent. You're having some other, like other thought processes happening that might not be like totally grounded in what's actually going on or what's like actually dangerous for you to do. Um, so I don't know. I would just have a lot of questions. Yeah, right. Like I definitely get that perspective of being nervous to go and do things alone. Mm -hmm. And they obviously said, especially as a woman, and I think that does come back to safety sometimes. I started reading a book recently and it was like gender bias in the world and mm -hmm. how basically, you know, women are not going to be as safe in all these different situations. I was reading all these crazy statistics about like, you know, rape and assault and all this stuff. Mm. And I just, after reading that book, I'm like walking around nervous. Now I like notice myself like looking behind me and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be that way, but it's just like, it's so annoying that when you read something like that, even though it's educational, you end up being like, <laughs> right, just going crazy because you start getting nervous and anxious. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't live your whole life like that. So you got to figure out. And like, maybe you could take baby steps. Maybe like if you would normally go to CVS only if your your partner is with you, maybe you like have them on the phone and you just keep them keep the phone line open and you go about your business and then you come back and like you take little baby steps that way. Um, and that can be, there are like different approaches to like therapy based approaches to breaking that sort of mindset down and really resolving like what, what the actual root of the problem is. But if it's codependency in terms of like, emotion, like you just want attention, that's normal and fine. 
Yeah, totally. I think that's so fine. And sometimes you want a bit more support on whatever day for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. And sometimes you feel more independent, and that's awesome, you know? And obviously, if it does come to safety, yes, have someone on the phone. But if it's just more to do with, like, oh, I really want that person to be with me, that's very normal. Like, my partner texted me today at work and was like, I really miss you today. Sometimes it's just like that for you know, whatever reason. And sometimes I really want him to be with me. And I'm like, oh, I don't like going out with friends, you know, without you. I just really like your support. It feels comfortable. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if I really like his company, I'm going to want him to be around. And that's very normal. But you do need to figure out if there is a line there that you're crossing where you're mm -hmm. not allowing the two of you to have your separate lives. But as long as you have your own separate lives, enjoy your time together. And there's nothing wrong with that. Going into our next question, this is kind of along the lines of safety and a little bit of a trigger warning talking about sexual assault. Um, I did have somebody ask, what's the difference between someone trying to convince you to have sex and rape? Because if I said yes, isn't that my fault? But what if I felt pressured? Mm, I feel like this is a really good question and something I see more often than obviously I would like to see it which is never. So no one should ever be convincing you. You shouldn't need to be convinced. If, if you need a little bit of time to like break out of your shell, that's fine. But if, but if you said yes to appease a person, that's still unconsensual. You didn't, you didn't like really, I mean, I guess you gave verbal consent, but so you can't really like legally you you don't have a case there because you you said yes. However, how you feel emotionally is valid. And so if you're looking at that situation and you're saying this didn't feel right to me, you are completely completely within your right to feel like you were taking it taken advantage of because you were. You were pressured to the point of saying yes so that that person felt like they had consent when in reality I'm sure that that person also knew that they didn't have your your actual consent consent is an enthusiastic yes oh it, that's always what it is consent is an enthusiastic yes so if it's a yes out of coercion that is not that's not consent you you that's quote coercion and that is taking advantage of a person who you know is vulnerable and you know that you can pressure into making a decision and so it the the like word rape feels confusing to me sometimes because um it the like sort of images that we have with that are not always what it is but that experience sounds non-consensual to me and if it feels non-consensual, then that person is valid in going through the healing process of any other victim of sexual assault. Because that was not, that was not an enthusiastic yes. It was a yes to, you know, move the situation along or whatever, or to feel safe, which a lot of the time is the way that sexual assault happens, is people wanted to feel safe and they felt like that was the safest option that they could take. And that still is sexual assault. That still is non-consensual and many, and, and that is rape. So, um, yeah, I, I, that's not an uncommon scenario, unfortunately. Um, and, and that person should 
should um, not feel guilty, not feel like it was their fault. They were pressured and borderline forced into doing this. And um, that doesn't mean that that you're a weak person, a guilty person. You were put in a vulnerable situation. You did the best you could with the information you had at the time. And so it's a moment of, you know, recognizing that this wasn't your fault, recognizing that it wasn't your choice, but knowing that there there's plenty of healing along the way. And there are so many, um, thankfully, resources available to to you now to help in that process. Um, but yeah, that sounds that sounds like it was not consensual to me. So I'm very sorry that that happened. And unfortunately, that does that happens more than it should, because we don't feel like we have the right agency anymore over our bodies. We feel like we're sort of stuck with these choices when when we're not most of the time. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's such a hard topic because I feel like these things happen in situations that aren't naturally or like normally displayed to us. Like we picture like we're running alone in the park and someone jumps up behind us. But unfortunately it typically is someone who you love and you trust. Unfortunately it's someone who's typically close to you and it happens in quick moments where, you know, the yes or no wasn't really given clearly. And suddenly you're sitting there going, well, I've said yes now. And it's this feeling of what am I going to do? I can't leave him like this. And just that kind of pressure, it's a really kind of gray area, but ultimately, if it's not enthusiastic consent, it should never happen. It's to the way that the way that you were saying earlier in the conversation of like talking, talking about these situations like they actually happen, like the way that they happen in real life, like the way that this happened to this person, like that is that happens all the time. And that is not that is non-consensual. It's not an enthusiastic yes, but we've also made like we've made a lot of progress in defining what that means um, as of late. And so we're all like, I don't think that I learned like enthusiastic. Yes. Until I started working in this whole, you know, sex ed space. Oh, same. And I feel like I identify with some of this person's story. And I think a lot of us do. And it's hard because, you know, we watch something and there's a scene like this where something like this happens, say, in a movie, and it makes us really emotional. And it's not just because, oh, it's really sad to think that that happens to people. I think we all feel like we have a, we've had a piece of this. We've, we've had a piece of, like, that pie, you know? And even if we haven't had that whole story we've still had moments where we felt that pressure and we felt that discomfort. And it's horrible because we all actually, a lot of us really do relate to this and it is so much more common than we think it is. Look, if someone's ever in that situation where they feel like they've already kind of said yes, but they don't know what to do, how to move on, how to change it to a no, how to kind of step in and stand up for themselves, how do we get better at standing up for ourselves? How do we get better for saying what we want in that moment? I think a lot of that comes with doing those like self-love practices. This person might not be a bad person, might not be trying to put put this, you know, pressure on you that is coercion or whatever, but they just might not be for you at that time. They sound like someone who has some growth to do. Um, and it's important, I think, to to not think in your head immediately that this person is a bad person. Because I think that like, for me, like that would be where the guilt would come from for me. 
It's like, this person is not a bad person. They're not asking me to do something bad. So like, why don't I just do it? And that's, that's not really how that works. Like it should be enjoyable for both parties. And if you can have that internal conversation of, is this an enthusiastic? Yes. And if you say no to yourself, there is nothing more important and more um, valuable than honoring yourself. You are, you are your, you have to be taking care of your own best interest first. You are the person that you wake up with, go to bed with. This is the body that you carry with you the rest of your life. This is the brain that you carry with you for the rest of your life. And that person just might not be for you. And that's okay. That's okay. It doesn't make you any less of a good friend, a good student, a good sister. Go back to those value statements and go back to standing in the mirror and saying, these are all the things that I love about myself. All of those things are still so true. So true. And so walking away from those situations, if that person is right for you, they're not going to care that much. They might be a little bit disappointed, but they'll move on and you can revisit it at a later time. But there is, barring a safety issue, there's no downside to saying no. There's only upsides, really. Because even if the worst case scenario, again, barring a safety issue, even if the worst case scenario is that this person decides that they don't want to interact with you anymore, fine. That just means that person, that person is not for you. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. You weren't rejected. You just, that just is not a person for you right now. That might be later, but at this very moment, no. And I think it's also interesting that we're so agreeable when it comes to situations like that. When like, if, if this is a person that you trust enough to have conversations, like, where do you want to get dinner? And this person's like Chinese and you're like, nah, I don't want Chinese. You should be able to do that in that situation too. That's so low risk. So, you know, like maybe, maybe that's a good way to like mentally frame it is like it, you've made other decisions. You've likely made other decisions that are in conflict with that person. And you've survived all of those other ones. You will survive this one too. And this is an important one for you. Like this is an important win for you. Not for that person. Right. It's so important to know that when you're able to stand up for yourself in those moments, you are actually stepping into who you are and you're actually growing that self-love. And it's hard because in that moment, it feels really challenging. It doesn't feel like, oh, this is like a cute self-love moment. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is me making myself feel really uncomfortable by standing up for myself, but that can actually be really difficult, right? It's interesting when someone goes through something like the person in the next question, I'm curious to hear how it all kind of ties together. They've asked, what should I do if a guy doesn't want to wear a condom? I find myself saying it's fine because I get nervous in those situations. How can I get myself to say what I need to say without ruining the moment? And this is really interesting, this whole idea of ruining the moment and like not being able to continue that moment. But I guess in the same way, do you want to continue that moment? if it's not what you want or if you don't feel safe? I, this, I remember feeling that way. So like, I have sort of like a, I have like my, my old self and my current self butt heads with this all the time because I remember being like, risk it. But you know what? It's a similar thing of if a person cares about you, they will wait until they have a condom. You just need to honestly 
this is not going to be the answer that they want to hear. You just have to put your foot down and think about how there are plenty of STIs that are not curable. And there are plenty of STIs that don't have any symptoms specifically for men. And that will give women symptoms, which is disrespectful, but it'll happen. So again, you need to have your own best interest in mind. And unless you have two options there, you either risk it. Well, you either, you either force this person to (laughs) like, how many options do we have? You either force this person that this is this tell this person that's your only choice or I'm leaving or you risk it. And if you risk it, you're the one putting yourself at risk. So just don't just don't do it. It's not it's truly I hate to like be like dare. Don't do it. But like truly it's not worth it. And there's dick everywhere. If that one is not going to work, believe me. You could flick a dime and you will find it elsewhere. It's not, it's not worth it. The potential of, could you, like, the potential of having an STI that you could have forever, you would have to manage forever. And I'd also like to remind you that if this person is not going to put on a condom, the likelihood of them honestly and earnestly being tested for STIs regularly feels very low to me. Because if, if they don't have condoms and they knew that they were going to have sex, like there's no way that this is a person who like went to a clinic and got tested or went to their doctor's office and got tested. And you're, you're going to sacrifice the moment, which you can restart again. The moment is not gone forever. The moment will come back. Um, but you're going to sacrifice the moment. And then you're the person who's going to feel like a big dumb idiot when you have to like go to the clinic and like get tested and been like I could have just avoided this whole thing you know it's not worth it and I remember like the only thing I remember from whatever I learned sex education wise in high school was uh, my teacher saying if everyone is naked no one is going anywhere no one's going anywhere just put the condom on just put it on fuck the moment it'll come back it will it will absolutely be back um, and it, it's not, it's not as like moment ruining as you think it is. And once you kind of like do it, do it one or two times, you'll realize it's like not a big deal at all. And the person will likely be like, if this is a person who, um, gives a fuck about you, <laughs> I don't know if you curse on your podcast, but if they give, if they give any, any, yeah, okay, great. Um, if they if they care about you, they will feel better that you even asked. Like, they'll be like, you know what? You're right. Good point. I'm going to go do that. And it's not going to ruin the moment. I promise. Oh, my God. Yes. Like, you are so much more important than the moment. You know, <laughs> and the moment will come back. I love that. Well, somebody has asked. Last question here is they want to get into becoming somebody within the sexual wellness field. Uh, they love the kind of work that you do or you seem to be educating, you know, through your social media and whatnot. How can someone go about getting into doing something similar to what you do? Fun. I love that. Well, there is a lot, a lot of like space in in this industry there's so many different avenues you can take and it depends on like how much education you want to receive um there is the 
American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. It's ASECT. So A-A-S-E-C-T dot org. And they'll give you like the whole rundown of every single type of job um, in the sex field that they will certify you for. ASECT is like the, um, the sort of governing body in the U.S., um, and I'm sure that there are other like international versions of that as well, but I only really know like the way that the U.S. does it. So ASEC.org is a great place to start. And they um, they will give you a whole outline of all of these different types of jobs. There are counselors, there are coaches, there are therapists. Um, you can be a social worker and get um, a an educate or get a certification in sex um, education there's so many different avenues that you can take. So I would say just to start with ASEC.org and just see where you want, how much you want to commit to education wise. Um, and it's always, it's always best to go into this field knowing that like, it's a very vulnerable space. We need people who are going to put in the time and the effort to be very careful with the way they word things, be respectful of all walks of life and really care about how accurate the information is. And so if you feel like those are things, those are values that you align with, go on ASEC.org, take a little gander, see what you find. And if you have any questions, email me. And my email is on my, is on my Instagram. If you try and DM me, I might see it, but like, I also might not. So if you email me and you say you just want information about a path you're trying to take, I'm more than happy to help because we need hands-on. We need all, like, all hands-on deck for this whole field. It's so true, hey? Like, we really need people who are wanting to really know the truth about these things and to help educate people on these issues. And it's mm-hmm. funny, like, I feel like I watched a TikTok the other day of someone talking about something, and I literally was like, that's not true. Like, I 100% know that is not fact. And there's so much misinformation out there that... Mm-hmm. We need people who genuinely really care about the topic and want to help people break out of the stigmas and the things that they've been taught about sex. The biggest, the biggest like mind blowing thing I learned was that your hymen almost never breaks. That's not a thing. That's not a thing. And people hinge their whole virginity over it. Not a thing. Your hymen stretches and then it, it stretches back. And if it tears, it'll grow back. So like people who like, check to see if their hymen is broken there's nothing to check for so it's important to know the all of the accurate everything but yeah that's so exciting i'm excited for their journey already and i don't even know them right well thank you so much for coming in today oh my gosh like i'm so happy we got to have this conversation and that we talked on the things that we talked about me too. This was great. I love chatting with you. These questions were awesome. Like so much fun. Yes. Thank you so much guys for sending in these questions and making this episode possible. It would not be what it was without you guys. So thank you so, so much. Please tell us, Alyssa, where can we find you? Where can people come and find you, follow you, keep up on what you're doing? So, um, you can find me on Instagram and on TikTok at Alyssa Lube. It's L-J-U-B or A-L-Y-S-S-A-L-J-U-B. And, um, I'm working on a podcast too, but it's just taking a million years. I'm also on YouTube. There's fun stuff on there. Actually, there's a video on how I became a sex coach. So that might be helpful for anybody who's interested in what that journey looked like for me. Um, and yeah, but mostly Instagram, TikTok, those are the places I live. 
and there'll be more stuff coming. Um, and yeah, it's just been great. I'm so happy to have had this time to chat with you. What a good interview. That was so fun. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you learned something. I hope that you feel encouraged. I hope that you feel empowered to say no when you need to say no or say hell yes when you want to try something fun and put yourself out there. And so I hope that you just feel validated and excited. And thank you so much again to Alyssa. And I just know that this is going to help so many people. If you don't already follow the podcast, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, go ahead and do that so that you can get notifications as new episodes come out. Also, we have a Facebook group now called the She Said What Podcast Facebook group, I think. (laughs) And we have a bunch of people over there already connecting and chatting about the episodes. And we're about to be starting a book club over there as well, focused around sexual wellness and feminism and all the good things. So come join us over there. Let's have a chat. DM me if you have any feedback or any questions. I will be over there on my Instagram, which I will link below. I also have my TikTok where I just go unhinged. So find me over there and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks guys for listening. Have a lovely day. Goodbye.